Good morning. So this week is a is a Christmas. Uh, my sermon has took like many directions. I decided the title on like 2 a.m. this morning, and because uh, you know I wanted to preach something, um, you know, related to gospel, and you know, you know, like when it comes to Christmas, most of us will think about like what, you know, we think of Christmas like lights and parties, like families and concerts, you know, and, you know, gift, gift exchanges and Christmas songs and, like, you know, amazing food, family get-togethers. This is what we think of Christmas. Um, you know, all of these are, like, good points and good things to have and be a part of. But most of the time, we miss the true meaning of the Christmas. And, you know, my goal for today in the next 35 to 40 minutes, is to help us understand, to bring out some of the hidden meanings of the Christmas um, that we most often forget about. You know, our, our culture likes to celebrate Christmas, but they don't like to look at, you know, what is the focal point and the anchor for this Christmas. Uh, So most of, the, mo- most of the hymns or the Christmas songs, you know, do, do bring this hidden meaning of, you know, uh, Christmas, you know, from it. When you look at this famous hymn, Hark the Herald, Angels Singing, you know, like even from like two to three years old, all the way until like, 80, 90, 100 years old people would know and remember this hymn. And, you know, they would at least listen from the radios, from the TVs, or wherever you think of, you know, in, starting from Thanksgiving all the way until like at the, you know, mid-January or something, they will at least listen to once, you know, this hymn. But, uh, you know, when you carefully look at this hymn, this hymn brings out a lot of stuff that we don't often think of when we, you know, sing in the worship settings or TVs or whatever. Here are some of the few questions that this hymn brings forth. The first question is like, who is Christ? You know, Jesus and everlasting God. You know, you can see here, Christ the everlasting God and offspring of the virgin's womb. And the second question that we can, we can, we can bring from this psalm, uh, hymn, is why did, why did Christ come down? Right? To make God and sinners reconciled. It's there in the hymn. But we most often, like, we don't even put our mind to this, uh, uh, you know, hymnal words when we sing, uh, hymns. How did, how did he accomplish it? To lay down his glory that we may have life. You know, right here it says, he lays his glory. And the fourth and the final question is, how can this life be ours? You know, there is something in every Christian life that starts 
is something called like new birth or regeneration. This hymn clearly brings out in the last line here, born to give us second birth. You know, when, when you look at uh, John chapter 3, Jesus' discussion with the Nicodemus, you know, uh, he comes to Jesus like, you know, when no one is watching because Nicodemus is uh, one of the top-notch Ivy, Ivy League, you know, theological schools, top professor. Um, during uh, Jesus' uh, time period, and he would, he, he would have felt ashamed to go and talk to some unknown guy like Jesus, you know, who hasn't even got a theological degree. How could he stand and preach? But something Nicodemus recognized in Jesus, he said, uh, Teacher, we know that you're from God because we recognize the things that you do. And, uh, you know, right at that passage, I think it's good for us to look at this passage. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 1, all the way until 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things uh, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So here... Jesus was saying that even though Nicodemus is he's been teaching the Bible for his whole life, you know, you don't usually get a professorship right away. You have to at least, you know, I'm getting my PhD in computer engineering and I've spent like almost 28 years in the school. And, you know, hopefully next year I'll finish sometime. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, in, in order to be as a professor, you know, uh, there are like, there is assistant professor, associate professor, and there is professor. Like, you you know, you have to at least spend like 15 to 20 years in the school teaching the subjects to the students. You know, here, Nicodemus, you know, he is one of the top-notch guy in, you know, having this top-notch professorship in teaching the Bible. And when he comes to Jesus and asks this very simple question, like, you know, we recognize you as a teacher. Like, no one recognized in the Israel that Christ is the Messiah. Even the disciples who recognized Messiah, uh, like, they have, like, very minimal understanding of how we have in our today's gospel understanding. So my, my hope for the next... Uh, 35 to 40 minutes is to bring out some of the hidden meanings of the Christmas through the gospel and show you clearly um, by the grace of God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, to see some of the things that we often miss in our, in our, in our Christmas celebrations.
So, um, the, uh, some points of my sermon was taken from uh, Tim Keller's book called Hidden Christmas. Uh, it's a very good book. I would recommend it. And the way he quoted in his book is, to understand Christmas is to understand basic Christianity, which is gospel. If we don't understand gospel, like we are celebrating Christmas in vain. Um, in, in my teaching today, I would like to bring our attention to uh, what is the centrality of the Christmas, which is the gospel. And uh, I, will, I will try to show you through what is the necessity of light. Like most of us, we think of, uh, you know, light. Like, uh, I'll, I'll get into more details, but without darkness, there is no light. Like, you cannot value light without darkness, and light can only shine forth in the darkness. And, and, and our Lord Christ has came down to this earth when things are utterly dark. And, you know, we live in our culture where things are extremely dark. And we need Christ's light to shine forth in this world through each one of us. And... Uh, I will, I will try to show you, you know, Christ is the true light. So there are many so-called lights exist in this world who try to, you know, take away the darkness within us and in this world. And we often try to, you know, pursue them. And when you pursue long enough, you will, rec you, you will, you will, you will realize that, wow, this is not like true light. You know, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm hitting the wall all the time. So, I will talk about this light of the gospel. And uh, the gospel for life. Most of us, when we think of gospel, we think of something like, you know, I've heard of some preaching, maybe a verse that started like, you know, mess with my feelings, and I gave my life to Christ 12 years ago, and that's about it. Yeah, you know, um, like I was watching uh, a video from Gospel Coalition where they have, you know, a few pastors sitting in a conference or the table where they were interview uh, church planters. Uh, you know, one person come in and, um, you know, they would give their testimony and uh, they would uh, see where to send this person or whether he is truly converted or not, how much of the stuff he has, can he understand the gospel, all of these things. Every single person that came to this room gave their testimony. All of them were brought up in the church, but they have never heard of the gospel. And something happened to them where the Lord got a hold of them and opened their eyes and their hearts that they clearly see the gospel now. You know, I, I grew up as a Christian, and I, I don't know if I can think of 
I don't remember what a gospel exactly means. Like we think of gospel as like something like cross or maybe Christ or, you know, nothing. Um, so I hope, I hope to bring some of the hidden meanings of the gospel in my presentation today that often like we desperately need it. Um, we'll ask the Lord to open our eyes in a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come and enlighten our minds to understand your word. Please send your spirit to change our hearts as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Point number one, the necessity of the light. Um, you know, we have heard many times in Greg's sermon that he has uh, thousands of lights at his home because, you know, he, he cannot walk in the darkness. And the same is true for everybody. We go for camping, right? Uh, what is the most important thing that we carry is the light in order to survive or navigate through, you know? Um, the light starts from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And, uh, you know, Psalm 112 here, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And the famous quote or the scripture most of us could remember is Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. My goal of my, this sermon is not to bring out the word pictures of the light. You know, I would leave that assignment to Nathan or somebody else. <laughs> Uh, just kidding, but uh, you know, um, can you think of any times, any 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 dark times in Jesus' earthly ministry? Um, you can randomly shout. I I don't really care because you know I've been a teaching assistant for many years. Uh, Sure. So you would consider that as a darkness. Yeah. Sure. It's very true. Yeah. Sure, sure. All, all of these are great points. Um, one of the things I would bring to our attention is um, the beginning of, uh, you know, in Matthew 2. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in the Bethlehem and in all the regions who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. You know, here we would see a lot of, uh, you know, terrible violence here. You know, think of it this way. Um, 
you know, imagine that uh, if an order has been passed to kill all the children in Dayton, Ohio, it would be chaos. It would be terrifying, horrifying, right? Um, you know, we would consider that day to be a dark day of Dayton, Ohio, right? Um, And uh, we, could, we, we could see John the Baptist, you know, he was beheaded for speaking the truth. You know, would you consider that as dark times of Christ? Um, you know, I want to bring, I wanna bring our attention to Christ as a true light. Um, in, in John... Like, John brings excellent points about the light and Christ being the light uh, throughout his Gospels. Um, his Gospel, First John, Second John, Third John, and, you know, we have many images of light in Revelations. Uh, so John 1 says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So I want to bring our attention to this point, true light. You know, there, you know, like uh, back, in, back in those days, like as we try to solve problems for ourselves, you know, they did many, you know, experiments to try to solve their problems by themselves and looking for other sources of light. And when John brings out you know, you've been, you've been searching for this life and you didn't find any light and the light that you find is not really true. Here's, here's something that I, that, that I want to point to you uh, is what, 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 what John says is the true light um, is the Christ. Paul, in, uh, to the church of Colossae, he's quoting from Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So if you look at these two scriptures, he was in the world and the world was made through him. And he is the image of the invisible God. Um, you know, we can clearly say that Christ is the, the true light and he, he is the creator of all things. Um, in, you know, in First John 1, this is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Like, there is no darkness in the, in the Lord. Like oftentimes we get like angry with God or like frustrated with God and like, you know, there, there, there is no darkness in Him. So the light of the gospel. Sin is one of the major word pictures of darkness throughout the Bible. Anytime you see the darkness in the Bible, you can clearly, you know, say like, you know, sin. Um, you know, the, 
The founders of the great religions say, in one way or another, I am here to show you the way to spiritual reality. Do all this. You know, that's, that's, that's an advice. And Christ would say, I am, I am spiritual reality itself. You could never come up to me, and therefore I had to come down to you. You know, that is the gospel. It's a quote from uh, Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. Um, so we, we as sinners, we cannot rescue ourselves. You know, we need a savior. And uh, so if I, if I may throw out this question, like, you know, how could you, how could you summarize the gospel? Can you guys tell me like few points that you've heard of what a gospel means? Daniel? Sure. Sure. Grace, grace is a very good part of it. Um, most of our evangelical culture, they would quote Romans 10 and say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is, this is a gospel summary that most of the evangelical messages are based on. Sure. Right. When when you look at the scriptures, most of the times you would see this phrase. My people have perished because of the lack of understanding of the scriptures. Let me ask you this other question. What is the least that you could do in order to call yourself a Christian? Good, good. I love it. Can you repeat it, Daniel? Yeah. It's, so we would, we would hear these responses like, you know, read your Bible, you know, go to church every day, maybe go for a special prayer meeting once or twice a month, and, you know, you need to start tithing. You know, once in a while, if there is any volunteer opportunities, make sure that you try to do it so that you, you, can, you can, you know, become yourself more righteous or justified or whatever. But the thing that we are missing here is the wrong question is what is the least that you could do in order to call yourself a Christian is a wrong question. You know, when you're a Christian, your whole life belongs to Christ. Like any single part of your life that you can think of, your work, you as a parent, you as a spouse, um, you as a church volunteer or church member or whatever. Your whole life belongs to Christ. And throughout the Gospels, 
when Jesus started preaching, he preached something called kingdom of God. You know, I have never heard of kingdom of God anything before I came to this church. My very first sermon when Greg was preaching five years ago is on kingdom of God. You know, when, when the Lord uh, has, you know, awakened my spirit, it's called regeneration, you know, as we read in John chapter 3, regeneration is the beginning step of becoming as a Christian. And that is something that the Lord would do. Like, you couldn't regenerate by yourself. It's impossible because you're dead. And dead people don't move or don't say anything. So, um, the, the Lord has, you know, spoken to me in Matthew, through Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God, then all things will be added unto you. And that has caught my attention um, because the Lord has drawing me closer to Him through, through those scriptures. And, you know, I've, I've, I, I, I've gone to Sunday school. I memorized the catechisms. You know, I did all those things, and I was very active in the Sunday school at my church. And um, when I read the Bible, like, I, you know, this is something that I've taught, I've been taught, is like you, you should only read like three verses per day, and then after you move it to five, when you feel energized, then like move it to a chapter. Um, oftentimes, when, when I go to church, I would fall asleep. You know, because I have, I have no motivation for the Lord. Not, I, like, it doesn't matter whether the sermon is 30 minutes or one hour or two hours. Like, I would just fall asleep because I would get bored. You know, um, like, if, if you haven't experienced... Uh, you know, God's grace in your life, God's saving grace, um, you know, like, I humbly request you that you cry out to the Lord. That He would start awakening your spirit. It, like, it, you can say a prayer of being as a Christian, but that doesn't get you anywhere. The Lord has to regenerate your spirit. And what is a gospel? The gospel is the full counsel of God. As, as, as the scripture tells us, you know, Paul often commands, uh, you know, his, uh, his, his disciples that when you preach the gospel to the churches that he has planted... Preach the full counsel of God. Even if I try to preach the gospel in, in this, you know, 15, 20 minutes, I can only be scratching the surface. You know, I would, uh, I would humbly, you know, point you to Greg's series on eight essential elements of biblical Christian gospel. And um, I don't think he finished that yet because, you know... <laughs> It's like 130, 130 sermons because, like, gospel is that big. And, you know, we think gospel as like, oh, it's like 10-part series. Wow, that's like very long. 
you know, you could have done it in like two sermons. Like, why do you need the ten sermons? You know. Um, like, I love this quote from uh, None Greater. It's a book by Matthew Barrett. You know, when, when you read Matthew 12.45, you know, Matthew 12.45 talks about, like, you know, if you cast out a demon, you know, uh, if your home is empty, it will come back, and if, if, it, if it's empty, it will bring in seven other demons. Then I love how he correlated that with the theology. When bad theology is cast out by one generation, but not replace it with a substitute by the next, the home of Christian theology is left empty. When the bad spirit of the theology returns and finds the home empty, it would bring in seven more unclean theologies. The last state is worse than the first. It, it, it's amazing. I think we can see this in our culture, in evangelical messages. Very, very few people uh, would preach the full counsel of God. Um, I believe this is, uh, you know, Greg can correct me on this. There's a, a book by Gordon Fee called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. I think the word McDonaldization of Christianity is where it's from. Like, you know, like it's very apt to our culture where when we are hungry, we go to McDonald's, drive through, and like, what do you want? Hamburger with buns? And do you want pickles, mayo, whatever, right? And, uh, you know, it's like pick and choose your own Christianity however you feel comfortable with. Go through a church drive through or you, you don't want the youth ministry? Don't worry about it. We have other programs. If you don't want to volunteer, that's okay. Just sit in the pews. If you don't want to listen to the sermon, play your video games or whatever when you sit in the sermon. Um, so there, there is one thing that physical and spiritual holes have in common. They don't, have, they don't stay empty for long. So when, when you don't have a full counsel of God, for the gospel, you have some holes in your gospel. And as you see, the natural holes are, you know, the, like it, it, it doesn't stay as a whole. It fills up with some stuff. And even in our spiritual holes, if you don't fill it with the gospel, it gets filled with some other stuff. And uh, what fills our spiritual holes. You know, things that fill the gap is uh, formalism. The gospel is reduced to the participation in the meetings and the ministries of the church. Right? And legalism, where salvation is earned by keeping the rules we have established. If you don't understand the grace of God, I think somebody pointed out, Daniel or Kyle, grace of God. If you don't understand the grace of God, you know, um, 
you would bring God's law bar up higher where it becomes more as like a legalism. You started adding like extra rules and regulations that, that exactly Pharisees were doing Jesus' time. And um, the third one here is uh, mysticism. Like, people go to church for greater experiences that they can feel like, you know, this is like, if you, like, you know, I came from India, I've seen many, you know, Eastern religions where they have some sort of like a spiritual experience. It's more like a pursuit of experience than, you know, pursuit of the truth. And the next one we have here is activism. Gospel is reduced to participation in the Christian causes. And if, if your understanding of gospel is just for fighting for the Christian causes, um, you would have to ask the question for yourself, is that, is, is that the gospel? Again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not denying any one of these, but when we don't understand the full counsel of God, your whole life is filled up with this stuff. And the next one is the biblicism. The gospel is reduced to the mastery of the biblical content and theology. That, that's all about it. You know, Paul was, was a biblicism guy, right? Um, you know, he, he is a research assistant of one of the top professors of theology back in Jesus' day. He would, uh, mem- he would have memorized the entire Bibles and three, four other commentaries. You know, uh, if I would ask you, like, First Peter 5, you know, very few of us would say that. He would say First Peter 5, and with uh, this commentary by person 1, this commentary by person 2, this by person 3. And he is very good with systematic theology or, you know, biblical theology or covenantal theology, whatever it is. Because he mastered the biblical content, but he didn't really understand the gospel. Psychologism. Gospel is reduced to the healings of emotional needs. And socialism. Gospel has been reduced to a network of fulfilling Christian relationships. And, you know, this is very evident in our culture where most of the people come to church for social hangouts. Um, Lane and Tripp, in his book, How People Change, the goal of understanding the truth of the gospel is to have a deeper relationship with Christ. You know... Um, some of the gospel perspectives that they would bring in this book is the extent and gravity of our sin. Like when you're truly converted, you would know that the Lord started putting magnifying glasses on, you, on, on the microscope to, to show you your sin. You use microscope for, you know, view certain, you know, insects and bacteria that you wouldn't normally see it with your normal eyes. You know, um, and the Lord started like changing your magnifying glasses and he would take it like 10, 100,000 times for the rest of your life. And there is not a single point that the Lord shows you that there is no sin in you. 
and uh, the centrality of the heart. Like, heart is very deceitful and wicked. And the scriptures say that over and over again. And our culture screams that follow your heart. And um, something we often like fall into this category is being as a Christian means we would get all the benefits when we go to heaven. Like being as a Christian means your benefit starts from the time you were born again. You know, Jesus never called anyone to give them a ticket that they can go to heaven. You know, God's call to, to us is for us to grow and to change. You know, Romans 8, 28 and 29 says we would become more like Christ every single day for the rest of our lives. Are we becoming more like Christ every single day for the rest of our lives? Probably not. A lifestyle of repentance and faith, you know, um, like my evangelical understanding before, um, uh, you know, I was born again is that uh, repentance is something that you only say when you raise your hand, when you, when you, you know, come to the altar call. Um Gospel is not a one-time preaching that you heard, you know, 12 years ago. Gospel is for every day, every second. It's a way of life. You know, Walter Chantry from today's gospel, he would show that, uh, you know, these evangelical techniques in leading people to Christ are based on man rather than God. It's a very good book, 80 pages. You can read it in like, you know, less than a week if you're a slow reader. And uh, another good book by David Platt, Follow Me. You know, he would say, uh, there is a broad religious road that is inviting and inclusive. This is nice, comfortable, ever so crowded path is attractive and accommodating. The only thing that required of you is a one-time decision for Christ, and you don't have to worry about his commands, his standards, or his glory after making the decision. You now have a ticket to heaven and your sin, whether manifested in self-righteousness or self-indulgence, will be tolerated long, long the way. You know, we don't think that the road to the heaven is extremely risky. You will lose your family, you will lose your, you know, everything. When the Lord called his disciples, he said, follow me. So they would have to leave everything what they, you know, what, what their goals are, out there, what their parents' goals are for them in order to follow Christ. And, uh, you know, preaching the full richness of the gospel includes preaching the holy character of God and preaching the entire law of God with diligent and, you know, 
through applications to our congregations. If you, if you haven't heard gospel like in a full length, I would recommend you would uh, get together with one of the mature Christian leaders uh, that we have at our church. And, you know, they are willing to take you through the gospel. Like, if you don't understand the gospel, like, you, you don't have life in abundance. You know, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came to give life and the life in abundance. You know, like, we love the phrase life in abundance. Who doesn't want life in abundance? Right? But are you going to get it from the world? Are you going to get it from the Christ? In conclusion, um, you know, um, our, the message of Christianity is instead, things really are this bad, and we, we cannot heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that uh, on those living in the, in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. As you notice that it doesn't say from the world a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. It has come from outside. There is a light outside of this world, and Jesus has brought that light to save us. And indeed, he is a light. And this is a Christmas sermon. <laughs> I guarantee you won't hear this sermon from many churches on the Christmas day. Um, but uh, um, you have any questions? I got five minutes. Um, so there are a few good books that I've mentioned. Um, you know, Follow Me by David Platt is a very good gospel book. And um, another good gospel book is Today's Gospel, Authentic and Synthetic, I believe, yeah. Um, and um, all of Tim Keller resources, uh, I love it. I, I have never read a book by Tim Keller that is bad. Um, you know, he's an excellent theologian for, for our generation. Um, and, uh, you know, sometime in the next year, we will try to start a systematic theology class. Um, you know, um, because, like, you need to know the terminologies in order to grow in your faith. Like, what is regeneration? What is conversion? You know, you know, like uh, which one happens first, and can you can you make your salvation go faster if you could work somehow? You know, these are some of the questions that uh, we will answer in our systematic theology class. We have offered in the past, but uh, I think uh, right now we are in a sabbatical stage. We will get back to it soon. Uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Lord, your word is very offensive. Lord, we ask that um, you would uh, help us to understand your word. Um, and uh, we, would, we would ask that you would cause regeneration uh, in our church, those who haven't been regenerated in you, Lord. 
um, we ask that uh, um, that this place would be a place uh, where your light shines clearly um, in our darknesses, and we would uh, um, we would have a zeal for you that is filled with the knowledge of the scriptures. And um, we thank you for uh, sending Christ on this earth um, to save us from ourselves, Lord, to save us from this world, to save us from the evil one. And um, we thank you for... uh, um, for enlightening our minds through your scriptures, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask this prayer. Amen.